1: We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of mint unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. Forty five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees, promoted for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than forty gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at Mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t shirt.
2: To the sweet sounds of Kevin Bloody Wilson off my iPhone, it is Hump Day with Swanee and friends, Dane Swan, and guest friend with Samantha, selfishly, being on maternal duties. Mm. Joe Watson, hello mate, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Uh, You two got a little bit in common. Over the journey, what? Well, <laughs> <laughs> you different type of personalities, but you got a brown Brownlow a medalist. <laughs> <laughs> I, I
3: remember playing against Swanee in two thousand and five. I was playing for and VFL. Swanee was playing for Williamstown out at Williamstown Oval. And what uh, a blo- what a beautiful oval that is! Yeah, beautiful windswept oh, <laughs> oh, <mate, geezer. laughs> But we probably our careers weren't probably going in the direction <laughs> <laughs> either of us dimes, and thankfully we were able to uh, rectify it and turn Oof. it around. No, All no the days. Though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On the ground. Well, reboot it, right.
2: So your Williamstown reserves reserves, That's Theory. I started, just yeah. for people who haven't heard this, what what you you said how many people were watching you on w- Williamstown Reserves Reserves?
4: Well, if you um if you believe what most supporters tell me now, about eighty thousand. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's amazing. Like, <coughs> I remember you like that i mate, I knew you were going to make it from day one. I was watching you down in the Williams Town. thought, yep, you're going to be a player. I said, like, yeah, bullshit. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I didn't even think I was going to be any good. None of my parents didn't think I was going to be any good, let alone the four supporters who were watching the reserve reserves down at um, Point Jellybrand at 10am on a Saturday morning. Um, but we all got to start somewhere, yeah. don't we? I remember
3: a greyhound came onto the ground one night I was playing there, and the guy I was standing next to, I said, why doesn't someone try and catch it? He goes, it's a fucking greyhound. No one's going to catch it on the ground.
4: The best thing about Willie was um, Harold from Neighbours was a, um, was a big fan. Oh, He was really? a supporter, yeah. Oh, yeah. He used to sit in the crowd and watch. Um, that was my first introduction to um, stardom. Yeah, running, par, walking back into the race and seeing Harold just, um, just standing outside. It's fucking Harold from Neighbours. <laughs> um, I've made it. Now, when was <laughs> coming, i watch me, but those were the days. Um, it should be our 20-year reunion coming up. Of? Of our premiership, by oh, 2003, yeah. Yeah. So I won one down there. Is that Well,
2: surely that won't be another function you miss out? Given the
4: well, uh, we've missed out on our 10-year um, AFL reunion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, God knows when that's going to happen with what's going on in the world, but... Um, I'm sure Colin will do one because footy clubs <laughs> like making an earn off premierships. <laughs> so um, at some stage, we'll I imagine we'll have a, a function at the, um, like at the Crown or somewhere. Because 1990 missed out too, so they had their what 30, 20 year reunion. We had meant to have our 10, but um, obviously the world being how it is, um, we haven't been allowed, which sucks. But um, but
2: yeah. What was your equivalent of Williamstown reserves reserves when you thought? Probably not <laughs> where i Where I need to be. Yeah, career, uh, cre- what, what do they call it, career trajectory? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, we used to have to, we were
3: uh, affiliated with Bendigo for a period of time. It's oh, a tough <laughs> drive. We it. were doing the you <laughs> know, the Sunday morning, we are in a minibus bu- mini going up the highway <laughs> to Bendigo and I thought, uh, hang on a minute, this isn't <laughs> what I thought AFL football was like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do something about it. But I, yeah, I remember kicking the dew off up at uh, the Queen's Elizabeth Oval up there and thinking, God, I'm a long way from anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sometimes it's character building, isn't it? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. You need <laughs> yeah. to be at the bottom. Yeah, exactly. We never, we didn't get
4: it easy. Yeah. No. Um, But I didn't mind it in my first couple of years because I don't know how Essendon had to do it, but we didn't have to train with the seniors or anything. We just had to train it. We had to come in and do weights, which I thought, I took that as being optional. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, they'd obviously have their, obviously, train during a the day. They'd be like, all right, just come in, do your weights, and go to Willy. So we'd well, we have to be at Willie like five o'clock or something like mm. So, mate, you'd sit home all day. Pop you in at the footy club, like do the home of, you know the Abe Simpson app, walk in, pull your hat out, then just walk straight back out. <laughs> then race over to bloody Willie, and I guess how the probably sums up where I was. We'd go go over to the chicken shop, eat chips and gravy, and like a chicken roll or something before training. Go out, you know, have a kick when the freezing cold conditions, and then play for Willie the next day or two days later. And then I mean, I'd hardly seen the senior blokes because then we'd have our own rehab. Like we'd, we'd be on our own schedule. Because the the ones obviously played in different spots and that have their own schedule and Mick um only wanted the the senior group to train with each other and didn't give a shit about us. <laughs> kick, kicked me off the track more than once.
3: What was your
2: equivalent? Yeah,
3: we we used to go to the social club at Windy Hill and have uh, chicken uh, schnitzel sandwiches <laughs> <laughs> free training And there'd be guys making requests for no salad on the side. <laughs> <summer. laughs> Just chips gravy and chicken schnitzel sandwiches. So good, so good. Who wonder why you're not feeling great when you're running around at three o'clock training? Yeah,
4: skinnies weren't <laughs> I always had a quite the issue with skinnies, but um, went real high on my list of priorities of getting down you with know, skinnies at that
2: age. And were you straight into the senior team, or was it, or did you have a year apprenticeship as well? No, nah, I
3: was. I played one game in my first year yeah. um, in the AFL, and then um, uh, maybe five or six second year. And my, by the third year, I was sort of. Um, going nowhere, like that was sort of where you like you're three years in the system and you 're running around in the twos and you 're thinking oh god i 'm you know this is not going well um, but uh, yeah, I was probably back then you a bit more fortunate though they', they a bit more leeway with the contracts and stuff like that, like you i had a uh, I had four years really like before you you sort of got an opportunity to either get flicked or not so they gave me, uh, nowadays I don't reckon you'd get that sort of luxury where you did back then. Unless you're a ruckman. Yeah, unless you're developing <laughs> tall yeah, or exactly. something like that. Yeah,
4: you get eight, pr- eight years to prove you, you can play and you, know, you can't play and everyone else gets two years to prove you can. Yeah,
2: um, Yeah, I was exactly the same. Uh, so, fast forward to now, as in post career, just while, while we're in the yep. pandemic and everything else. So, we, we, and this is part of the reason we're doing this obviously, sending out everyone who's, who's in a shitty lockdown at the moment, but uh, particularly those hit in, um, in hospitality and in fitness. Um, Tell us a couple of areas you've been uh, working in. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I
3: do feel for everyone. Um, you know, specifically in those industries, and yeah. um, we've got uh, I've got some businesses in New York who are one in hospitality and the other one in fitness as well. So, <laughs> I've chosen two good industries to be in when a uh, pandemic arrives. Um, and and they've been, I mean, the American how they've done they've they had a different approach. I mean, they were heavily locked down. Um, you know, in the early part of twenty twenty. Um, but then their, their vaccine rollout's been, you know, really, really, um, far more progressive than what we have here. Um, and so they're now at the stage, I mean, New York just mandated that you can't enter a, um, a restaurant or a theater or a gym without showing proof that you've been vaccinated. Um, and that's the, I mean, the expectations of people living in New York is that, uh, people are, go, are vaccinated. I mean, it's a very sort of left place and, and progressive sort of democratic um, you know, area in, in the States. But that that is where they're at. They, they've sort of seen it as we can't return to a COVID normal or, or a normal life without um, mass vaccinations. And that's been the philosophy of them. And the Americans, you know, they don't they don't sort of wait for things to you know they get out in front of stuff and and they do it and they very similar m- to here, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's not a lot of choice when when <laughs> things, uh, when, the, when industries and things like that want to do things they 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 get it done and and uh that that's been the approach but there's been you know times where we've had to let um, a lot of stuff go and and shut the doors completely yeah um Thankfully, though, uh, you know, there's been a lot of government support as well over there.
4: When's the last time you were there?
3: Uh, I wasn't there. I haven't been there since 2018. Oh shit! Yeah, 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 and I doubt I'll be there until probably 2023. I reckon. So in your head,
2: in your head, prior to pandemics and all that, what were you going to be a two country sort of person? Or
3: yeah, I would. I would like to. And then my my sort of partner wanted to get on the the kids train, and and we sort of decided to settle. Um, Predominantly here in Melbourne. She's American. She's Dutch. Dutch. So, um, but she would lived in New York for for six years, and and uh, New York was sort of home for her. Um, and then she was she made the um, decision to come out here and and. Uh, move her life out, out to Melbourne and, and I was sort of keen to go back to New York yeah. and she was like, well, well, I've picked everything up and come out here for you, so um, let, let's sort of stay here for a while. Um, You're stuck now anyway. And, so. I, and <laughs> there's no reason to go anywhere. So uh, Melbourne is home um, and then probably I'd always like to have that connection to, to New York and then obviously Europe is, is home for her.
2: Um, and what what is what is home for you? You got two kids. Yeah, yeah,
3: two kids. So we're uh, we've got um, Juniper who, who turns three in September, and then uh, Wolf turns one in October. So uh, yeah, I was saying to to Swanee, you know, recent father that everyone kept telling me that there was a bigger jump between one and two than there was from zero to one and I was like there's no possible way it could be any harder going from no kids to one kid and then I've had two and I've realised yep I don't know how people do it (laughs) no no Shit. Are
2: you from uh, family two kids? Is that, pardon? You're, you're from yeah, two kids. Yeah. yeah. You're from four. I'm that? from four, yeah. yeah.
3: And you do get a greater appreciation <laughs> for particularly what your mother's <laughs> <laughs> did
4: for you. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah.
3: Um, fuck two. I'm not sure I'm ready for that yet.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and unlike uh, Tim and Susie, yeah, you, you've become a dad at an older age too. Yeah yeah.
3: yeah. yeah. Well, I guess it was. The, um, you know, the generation before us, mum and dad were had us when they were 23, yeah. you know, and and I wanted to experience life a bit more. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. But you were gone as a twenty-three-year-old. Well,
4: 20. thank God we did, yeah. Because exactly now, right. well, yeah. thank God I and I'd, I don't know about Joe, but I chose to. Well, my foot kind of made a decision for me. But thank God I got to retire and then be like Joe, travel the world and have three or four years where I could pick up and leave. Because if I, I'd hate to be retiring nowadays, because yeah, what you do is when you finish footy, you go All right. I'm going to have a year and go see the world and you're stuck here now so I'm quite thankful that well, I got to do some amazing things after footy now obviously the family life's stuck and I can't do anything anyway so I was like well fuck it I might as well have a family so <laughs> um but yeah it's um it's wild as I had mine I'm what 37 so yeah 36 to 10 days before my birthday but um it's just the generation I think generations getting older for yeah. families now anyway Like like you said our parents had us in our 20s and Thirty-five, thirty-six 35 36 is just normal for people having families these days
3: yeah there was always that uh uh, you know analogy that if you're sitting there eating your cornflakes you want to be thinking back to the times where you had some good memories so the longer you left it because you're going to be sitting there at the breakfast table (laughs) with with
4: noise around you for a long time (laughs) exactly because people people always say man i can't remember what i did before I had children Yeah I was like well I can <laughs> <laughs> I had a great time That's literally all I think about <laughs> Seeing an complex is what I did before children It's <laughs> all I think about So I, I know exactly what I used to do <laughs> I can't do it anymore unfortunately
3: No.
2: yeah, uh, But post career This is where you, you're very very different the two of you I've yep. found something very very different You're in New York And A You sort out some work And B It was unpaid <laughs>
4: That's an oxymoron, isn't
2: it? (laughs) (laughs) So what was it? Well, my my reason
3: for it was when I was there, because I went in 2016 when when we were banned, and I thought, look, why did you choose to go to New York? Uh, I'd always wanted to live in New York. And I had uh, two friends who were living there, and I thought um, it's as good a place as any to go. Yep. Um, and so I loved American culture, and I loved New York every time I'd been there. But I'd always had a a desire to like live and immerse myself in a in an, in a city. Yep. Um, every time I travelled at the end of the season, I'd love it, but it was gone. You know, like and you never really get a feel for a, yep. a city until you live there. So New York was the the place I wanted to go, and. Uh, and when I arrived there, after, you know, a couple of weeks, I realised that I needed some structure in a week. Otherwise, things could get, <laughs> as you know, New York. There's a, there's a lot of temptations in New York and you get yeah. yourself into trouble. And I thought, I need I need to, to have some structure and I needed... And I wanted to learn a new skill. And I thought... Just something really simple like this would be really fun and it would be something really different where I could talk to people and engage with Americans and things like that and and have just a bit of a a very opposite existence to what i would had in in, uh, the AFL industry and footy Um, and it would give me some structure each week. And that was the reason behind it. And I reached out to... Is it a
2: hard skill becoming a barista?
3: It took me a while. Like, I stuffed up a lot of people's coffees. (laughs) Um, And, like, fortunately... So did you
4: know a bloke at a cafe or did you just run into a random one one day and go, can I learn?
3: So the girl that I... um, My friend who was there, she introduced me to the guy... Yeah. And uh and Barry had this tiny little place inside a building. It was like an old news agency and that's where it was and that's where it started. That's where Hole in the Wall started. And uh and I'd go up there um twice or twice a week and and do the uh, a shift for a day. Yeah. And uh and I absolutely loved it. Like, I had a ball. You know, yeah. it was a real simple um existence for me, but it was the that that simplicity of it and is what I really liked, you know, just engaging with people and um and having a I guess doing a job that you would have done typically if you were nineteen twenty working in a bar, which you never had I'd never had that experience yeah. and, and actually really enjoyed it.
2: That, I mean. but they got good forward defenses. Americans, did you ever think? Fuck a year ago, I was out at the MCG. Now I'm copping a Godfall for fucking up a coffee. <laughs> well, I know I liked I
3: liked that no one knew who yeah. I was or what I was doing there, and no one knew the reason why I'd, I was in New York either. So, um, I just I uh, really enjoyed sort of just chatting to everyday people and finding out, you know, because I love American culture. So it was about you know talking to people about where they fr- where they're from, what they're doing in New York, and and then it's a very it's quite an intimate five-minute conversation and then it's gone, yeah. you know, and then you, you're on to the next one. But um, if you're working and, and you repeat the process with these people, you start to learn a little bit about their lives and, and that's what I enjoyed. Did you have any Aussies, like, just walk in and go, oh, can "I can have a
4: coffee and,
3: like, give you the double look like, yeah. like Joe Boston?
4: <laughs> <laughs> I had a couple of people yeah. do it,
3: um, but they were they were fine and I just sort of chatted to them about why I was there and they were, you know, again, they were over there working or doing their own thing and and New York's one of those places where you get this um, melting pot of like people from all over the world come there and they all want to make it there they've all got some story about why they're there what they're trying to do and it's a great networking city too you know like people yeah. will go oh, I've got I know this person I can help you get that in that's that's American culture and that's why I think it's such a desirable place to go
2: so uh, part of was was Hachi one of the hookups to say who, who should I speak to? Or? yeah,
3: well, I'd, I used to go to um, and catch up with Hutchie every time I'd go to New York. He'd be sitting there at his um, his bar on the um, the West Village there, and Keep uh, it up. yeah, making sure <laughs> that it was still stocked. And <laughs> I'd always catch up with him when I was there. We had Christmas lunch there one day year when I was there with the family. So I had a lot of sort of like connections. From New York, and uh, and Hutch was a good one, uh,
2: and, and the fitness one. So was that you took that over to the states? Yeah. Yeah. That, so the F five
3: was um, what it done here, and I remember going. You know that Port Melbourne one that yeah. um, it opened up, and I just sort of thought, oh, this is a really good opportunity to have something like this because I was doing a lot of training when I was in New York, <laughs> but there wasn't any sort of high intensity sessions like that, and uh, and so we thought, oh, look, let's. Um, I lived in Williamsburg, and I thought it was a really similar sort of profile to to melbourne and and some of the areas that i thought you know f45 had done well in so that's that was the reason for bringing it over there
2: and has it kicked yeah it has i mean the the pandemic has been yeah Yeah.
3: it's been difficult for it but it has um it's it's gone well in in that sort of area and suburb but there's a lot more competition in that space now yeah absolutely
2: uh off the beaten track are you a more an off the beaten track type of traveler apart from new york
3: yeah, I, um, I used to go with a group of guys, sort of four or five guys every year um, and we would go all over the world really and, and I loved to do different experiences, I loved to go to different cities and uh, that was always, you know, like when I look back, that's my fondest memories of that period of, is that the travel trips that I was able to go through.
2: Uh, Give us some Brownlow style three, two, one. What were the best places?
3: Um, I loved Berlin. We stayed in Berlin for a couple of weeks, and I loved Berlin. I thought it was a cracking city in the Uh, summer or the winter. No, well, we were October, sort of September, October, so it was getting cold, but it had a great, you know, like you know, when you get a feel for a place, and you you're there, and you're like, God, this has got a real sort of substance to it, um, and edgy, and and a lot of history as well. So I really liked that. Um, where else was a, a good trip? Um, uh, like uh, Budapest, I thought was a, a, a good place. Like some of these European um, little cities. On the, um, Swanee's waiting for you to say Vegas. Uh, well, Vegas was a, a staple. Um, yeah, but you sort of—I mean, Vegas is Vegas. You know, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, hate that, I hate that place as much as I love it. Yeah. Uh, um But anyone that's been there, you're not telling them anything new about. No, exactly. What, everyone who goes there knows exactly what. They're yeah. Here exactly. For. Um, the, Austin, Texas is a great city too. It? Uh Well, it's got like, um, you know, you've got the Longhorns there, so it's a big college town. But then you've got the south. There's a lot of the feeling of the south there too. Um, great food and it always had a lot of fun on 6th Street. Anywhere there. where you're on holidays is fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely.
2: It's, go, it's going through your mind a bit at the moment, isn't it? Oh, man,
4: I can't remember. The, well, um, but Joe, my miss, my missus is obviously from New York, so she's hanging to get back. But, yeah, um, God knows when that's going to be. So it just makes me upset thinking about when my next holiday is going to be (laughs) because I can't even go to Queensland, Ralph. So (laughs) don't worry about going to
3: the other side of the world. (laughs) I did a uh, hiking trip in Norway. Yep. and that was a lot of like that was off the beaten track a little bit, and a guy had told me about uh, as a holiday, as a as a as a holiday in on the your paddle with mates. No, but uh, I met I met a mate there, yeah. um, and this was in the year off, so I was sort of looking for stuff to do, and uh, and I met a guy and uh, and he said to me, look, I did this hike in Norway, and these are the places that I stopped, and this is what and that's what I did. That was a that was like something that you don't do every day, like and uh, that was a lot of fun. Beautiful place, Norway.
2: Uh, t- tell us the Iceland rort, because I, I like this one. That, that, it, what is it? It's free accommodation if you, st- if you go to Iceland?
3: Yeah. But it's, it's the most expensive. It's the most expensive <laughs> place in the world, yeah. <laughs> so yeah.
2: nothing for nothing.
3: It's free accommodation for anyone. Well, they, they allow you to have a free stopover if you fly Icelandic oh. air. Okay. So we were flying uh, from New York to uh, Holland, and they said, look, uh, you could stop for free in Iceland. And uh, you get a re- reduction on your accommodation if you do that, and then you're there, and a piece of toast costs you twenty two bucks. Oh, was it? That was the toast. That vegemite, that jam on toast. <laughs> but it's like uh, they've also they've sort of called it this Frankenstein rule, where it's the uh, the monster you create because they they obviously collapsed after the um, the financial crisis. Iceland was one of the worst places oh. hit, and so tourism has been the thing that has just um, you know kept the economy going, but Everything's become so expensive. So now the locals struggle to to live in the place now as well. But it's a beautiful place to go. Do you
2: recommend it going?
3: I do, but it is. I wouldn't take kids
2: there. Uh, I actually. Are you still an OTV type of guy at home? Ah, no, uh,
3: yeah. Kids? No, I don't have TV. Yeah, don't, we don't have Ooh. one. Yeah, a what? <laughs> you don't have what? Don't have a TV at home. Don't have a TV though. No. I've got a broken TV that sits on a shelf, I'm trying to wrap my head around that. <laughs> what do you do all week? What yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, we've got like devices and things like that that they use. But uh, so my, you don't have been watching the Olympics or anything? No, nah, I haven't seen any of the Olympics. I watch, like <laughs> I've got i got a game NFL Game Pass, which yeah. is all I really want. So, um, yeah. And the NBA Game Pass is a well, game so. today, actually. No? Um, Dallas are playing. Yeah, I think they're they they're playing maybe the um, the Hall of Fame game or whatever yeah. they do. It's yeah, um, Hard Knock starts next week as well. So Dallas. Cowboys Steelers today. Yeah.
4: Um, that's well, why you don't have a TV, <laughs> you don't watch yourself back on you when you're doing the Channel Seven
3: stuff. You know? No, I'd hate to. Uh, yeah, no, nah, I don't do that. So how do you mum, watch? Mum gives me all the feedback that I need. <laughs> <laughs> how do you watch all the footy to keep up with you? I've got a uh, I've got a KO uh, a right. subscription, so I can watch, watch it on a computer on, on my computer here. Yeah.
2: And, and, and I feel it. like I suck saying this, but I'll, I've known you for a while, a little bit, but um, but you are you, loving your, the, the special comments you're doing and the way you're doing it. Have you modelled yourself like a Tony Romo or other type of sports that you can say, well, I can, I can do it a certain way.
3: Well, I, I listened to a podcast recently with Troy Aikman. Um, he did, he did a, he was a special guest with Sean McVay, and um, and he just talked about the uh, like how he goes through it, and and I just try and um, you know have a. I guess, a, a philosophy of, you know, just trying to explain the why of how I see it. Um, I don't like to be critical of people. I think that, um, you know, anyone can tell you what someone should have done or what they didn't do well. It's just trying to explain and um, I highlight the, you know, what, what how great, you know, the game is and how great the athletes are that perform it, you know, and, and never forget how difficult it was. So I, I like uh, I like to do the commentary. I don't like to be someone who commentates uh, like a about
2: uh, the game's sort of more than just what they're seeing on the ground. Um, so, all right. So I'm, I'm channelling our, our mate Scotty Cummings from our first year. Yeah. He had a good saying, I'd rather hole punch my ball bag. Um, <laughs> is that what you would rather do than um, than be on one of those pedal shows just bagging the shit out of players on a weekly basis?
3: Yeah, I, I think... <laughs> it doesn't seem like it's you. Nah, it's no, it's not me. <laughs> and, and I think that that's the thing. Like, you've got to be sort of true to what you... Like, if it makes you feel uncomfortable, then it's not worth doing it. So um, I, I enjoy... Um, I enjoy the commentary um, and only, but only really commentating about the games. Are you in the studio or are you at the games? It just depends. All the international, all the uh, interstate.
4: interstate. We're in. A Surely that's tough because if you got behind the ground vision, and stuff not really. That? Nah, no. Nah. So, so you can only totally see harder. what we can see on the telly. Yeah, yeah. So that'd yeah. be tough, wouldn't it? Because you wouldn't be able to. You can't Clearly really forecast yeah. what's happening. Yeah. yeah, and
3: when you're at the ground, you can say, okay, well, this is what's happening. This, why this is yeah. why it's happening. This is why it's happening. But then you've also got to re- – it's actually it's, – it's, it's taken a lot to sort of learn because you've got to remember there's no point talking about what the audience can't see because yeah, okay, yeah. it becomes sort of irrelevant for people. You've always got to remember that it, it, what the audience is seeing is what you should be you know um, talking about um, and then just trying uh, to uh,
2: – Has that been an instruction?
3: Um, well, no, not. I mean, it is. It's part of what what I think makes it relevant is you, you sort of go, okay. Well, what is the, what are people going to connect with? Because you, you're you're mm. trying to just connect them to what they're watching, you know. And you want to make them, you want to educate them, but you don't want to force stuff down their throat. No,
2: I, you know, I know it's a fine line because it's probably the only sport in the world where what's happening off camera is very relevant.
3: Yes. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the thing but you can't a lot of a lot of people just want to watch the game and enjoy it. Yeah. And but then there's the other side of it who want to know more about the tactical and so you've got a very broad audience that you're trying to cater to. But I think that if you can Try and explain the the why of what what is happening. That that's what I try and endeavour to do.
2: And what's been a surprise about doing that job? And oh, it's it's
3: much harder than what I thought it would be. Right. Yeah, it's much harder to um you know mm. to be concise, to explain what's going on in the TV, to come up with new things all the time, to not repeat yourself. Like it's it's a real. Um, uh, there's a, and there's a lot of research and stuff like that that you need to do after yeah. all the um, shit that happened with Essendon did you think you'd be back in footy not or? really no no I I, th- I thought that I'd probably move away from it um, and I like that I have a little bit of it but it's not my life do you love the game like you did or is it is sort of the
4: passion gone after everything that happened?
3: Um, I don't. I probably don't love it like a, a sixteen-year-old kid yeah. who dreamed about playing footy. Um, I've learned to sort of move on from what happened, but I probably it doesn't have the same feeling to me that
2: it once did. Yeah. yeah. And, and would that also be that now you're older and your parents and you know you've got other perspectives in life too?
3: Yeah, I think the the relevance of it. You know, when you're living in it, when you know, like it becomes all you really know and and your whole world is surrounded by that and then when you leave you're like God there's a there's a lot of things that I was sort of probably too focused on, and I should have had a bit more perspective. But if you're going to be good at something like that, it sort of demands that attention from you. Yeah. Um. And and I guess as you get older, you get a little bit more of uh perspective of the rest of the stuff on life. And do you follow Essendon? Like yeah, Chris, I do. I still yeah. follow Essendon, and it's more like for love of the you know the the guys that are still there and. And then the supporters, I think you appreciate the supporters a lot more after you leave, yeah. I, I find. Like, the, and especially. How have the, they been with you? Yeah, I've, I've always had a great yeah. relationship with them, and I've uh, I, I found them to be, um, you know, and supporters of all, all clubs, really, have yeah. always been really well treated by um, all supporters. But the Essendon people, I think you get an appreciation because you, you realize how life, how busy life gets, you know, when you've got work and you've got a family and all that sort of thing and then you see the passion that these people have for the footy club and you're like God, oh, you guys commit so much for me you know it was work and I was getting paid and it was a job and I loved it mm. but for you you know like you, you <coughs> devote so much time, money and energy into this club out of love and um, I think mm. that that is really commendable Have you been back? Um, I've sort of been there to visit a little bit but not nothing no. really yeah. um, they had an event at the start of this year which I went to but that's yeah. about it
2: because that's one of the things, I'm, as a suburban footballer, <laughs> in, in quotation marks, but in reality, any old player is, was always loved and welcome. and beauty, this is part of it, but you, it's not a workplace. Yeah. So, and I've spoken to many uh, mates who i who worked with or became mates with who were like footballers or cricketers, and they just know that they don't feel comfortable being back in a... In the workplace environment, un- under most circumstances, unlike a, a local footy club that most people listening to this would relate to.
3: Yeah, I think there is a difference because of that, um, and things the professionalism of the the clubs move on so quickly, and and the players change and turn over, and staff turns over so quickly. So, you can go back five years later and you go, oh, I don't really know many people here anymore, and
2: I feel mm. like a little bit of an outsider. And is um, that what you felt like when you took the camera around earlier this year at Collingwood? Yeah,
4: uh, yeah. Well, it's obviously the same like the. Bootstutter and like yeah. you know the property steward and all they're all the same, but the admin staff is completely different and obviously the players, which is the big one. I don't know half the people's names in there. Yeah, like, yeah. Six years ago, you walk in, you like the Pied Piper, you know, yeah. like, everyone loves you. And at this stage, you're like, I'm not sure they know who I am. Yes, and yeah. like I don't know who they are, so it was it was a little odd. But um, but yeah, exactly the same as Joe and I tried to purposely. Create a distance between myself and the footy club because I was such a big part of it for 15 years. Like, and when I was playing, like, you'd see all the old boys come in and like sit and have lunch, and it was fine for on the odd occasion. But when they were in there every week, you're like, Yeah, mate, go do something else. (laughs) Your time's come and gone. So I didn't want to be one of those old blokes who hung around the club every day and trying to still think I was a part of the side because you know, I obviously wasn't and they needed to, to move on without me. So that's I've tried to purposely keep a distance and they. They wouldn't have wanted me back anyway, I'm sure, but um, especially when Nathan was there. But the um, new coach might be different. But, um, yeah, I, I purposely tried to create a little bit of a vacuum yeah.
2: away from, from the footy club. So on my list of things that you might have in common, uh, neither of you seem seemed like you would have coached at AFL level, just as a guest.
3: No, I, I, I don't have that, that desire. I think the only thing I would say, like I loved the game growing up and know, yeah. I always thought I would you know, do it. Um, you know, wanted to play, and uh, you have so much so much knowledge about it um, that it seems like it's a bit of a waste to just like put it in the box and leave it. Yeah. Um, so the only thing I would think about, if you know, coaching or, or getting back involved in, is if I would sort of did a full circle and went and did other things in life. You know, had a family, the family got older, and then I went back to footy out as a real desire. You know, like if I was fifty five or sixty. Yeah. Um, but for me, it was like part of my life that I needed to say goodbye to and move on. And yep. the progressive, you know, progression in life meant that I couldn't stay in that industry uh, anymore. I needed to to find something else. And I needed to learn sm- about other industries and other things.
2: Hey, just um, last week, and I was taking totally out of context, we spoke about it with Adam Simpson about the private school comments. Yeah. But, but on the good side of it, you know, you obviously went to a great school and with a good family. That's the only thing at a footy club, every, the only thing everyone has in common is that they're good footballers. Yeah. But did it really impact you and say, well, this is actually a totally different world now and, and you learn a lot more about different people and different uh, cultures, I guess?
3: Yeah, it, it, you do because, you know, everyone has their own upbringing and, and it is um, it can be very vastly different and, and that is the great thing about um, that, that team sport environment in, in the AFL is you get to... Um, you know, learn and educate yourself about other um, people, other uh, cultures and uh, it's, it, it helps you so much develop as a person and that's what, what I found is um, people that I hadn't had a lot of uh, interaction with or lifestyles with before I came to footy, I was able to, you know, get and build a relationship with those kinds of people and I think that it, it helps you have more empathy for other people and it, it helps you... Get along with people, which is actually really important in life. Is you, you've got to be able to cope and understand why someone's got to a situation that they are, why they're making the decision that they are. And if you ever, if you you just stay in your circle, then you, you're going to really struggle to be able to understand, you know, the thought process of other people and I think that that is the beauty of sport it doesn't it doesn't discriminate and should never discriminate on you know where you were born what you uh, what your parents did anything like that it should it's a it's a beautiful level playing field
2: and and that's also a bit of uh, sheed 's dna wasn 't it to to uh, make Essen in a nationwide club and, and yeah. also embrace the Aboriginal cultures and so forth like that Did you get some real good insights and trips away and stuff like that along those lines
3: yeah we had a we were really like the the work that the, that sheeds and the footy Club did in sort of these the '80s and 90s and things like that like anywhere we went as a club we just had enormous support whether we're up in the northern territory or in western australia or south australia and that was built off the back of I, i think his foresight into you know we need to sell afl to the rest of the country and we've got um such wonderful uh you know, cultures that we that can add so much value to this, this game um, and this game can um, showcase these cultures as well. And that's what football does. I mean, you, you go and watch, um, and we use the Indigenous uh, players out there, like they are the stars of this game um, and they do it, you know, they are able to then, I, th- I think it's a great avenue for them to then talk about aboriginal culture and for, to help educate people on um you know the indigenous society through what their exploits are have been on, on the football field
2: because really in the 80s uh, obviously when your dad was a star but longy was almost the outlier and now it's now it's the norm for aboriginal indigenous stars all over the comp
3: yeah that's right and, and uh, i think it's that they, they are um, they add so much to to the game as well. Like it, it just they they offer such different dimension to what um, you know like other players can do.
2: Uh, so so growing up because we mentioned Sheeds, we should open the door there. The, the, your perspective as a young kid and perspective as a player. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I, Sheeds, was uh, I had a hard sort of hard relationship with him, yeah. um, and I, I often think back though and think that um, you know. S- when you're 18, 19, you know, you're ignorant and you can be pig-headed and um, she was gave me some really good education on what I needed and I just wasn't ready to receive it, as often <laughs> teenagers are. Um, you know, and so I think back to some of the things that he was saying and he was right, but I just, uh, I wasn't ready to sort of hear it and so I have a good relationship with him now, but uh, at the time I was like, oh, God, what are you talking about, these rhymes <laughs> and riddles? I don't, know. I, don't know. I don't understand, give me a straight answer.
2: <laughs> was it was there similar with Mick?
3: Yeah, Mick Mick was pretty hard. I remember he used to
4: yell at me and abuse me and stuff like that. And I was like, you know, you get your back up. I'm like, fuck, love, give us a spell. I'm, you know, like, Job said, like, I thought I knew best. And I, yeah. man, I was playing in the reserve, reserves running around, not getting a kick. <laughs> and I was like, I know more than this AFL legend. But one day he was going off, I me. Mean, I, I was playing in the ones, I think, and he, um, he's, we're in a meeting. He's like, mate, you know, I don't know, I don't know why anyone anyway, wants to play with you. Like, you're killing your teammate. showed vision of me or whatever it was. And I walked out, I was like you can get fucked like. and then like Jono said to me he goes mate um if he's yelling at you he means he cares because see the blokes he's not yelling at they'll be gone at the end of the year (laughs) so like um if he's hard on you he knows that you can be something so that sort of turned my thinking around I was like well he actually cares or understands that he can get something out of me by giving it to me because all the blokes like I'd be like fucking look at this bloke like he's a He's horrible. Oh, he's doing something wrong. So he's fucking hopeless. Yeah. But he's not getting yelled at he's getting patted on the back. But identity <laughs> he was gone and yeah. somehow I managed to fucking stay. But um yeah, he was super hard on me, but uh you know, like exactly what Joe said, I didn't think I needed it, but he obviously was right and he was what must have been the only one who'd seen anything of me down in the reserves that I was gonna be any good, so um he obviously Saw something in me which, which no one else did, not even myself. So, um, yeah, I everything, the player I was, whether he thought I was good or bad to, to me, because he moulded me, the player I was. Put me down back, put me up forward, and then and let me go in the midfield.
2: Does that give you some memories similarly? Yeah, I think it,
3: it it it's like what a great coach does, isn't it? They They see something in a player and then they help nurture it and they understand what the trigger point is going to be to get them, and they never... You know, like they can be hard on you, but they never lose. You never lose the player, you know. Yeah. Like you sort of, it's like a father almost. They give you these whacks, but then you always want to um, do something. You want to make them proud, or you want to yeah. perform for them because you know that deep down there, there's they're invested in you and they care. And I think that that's what those great coaches were. They're able to find um, something inside <coughs> the the players to make them want to perform mm-hmm. for them. Yeah.
4: It's- they obviously the legendary coaches had a wave. All right, this bloke needs a carrot. This bloke needs a stick. So yeah. it's like some blokes, I'll like, oh, fuck you. I'll show you that yeah. I can go out and do this. And like some blokes didn't react that way. Some blokes would go into their shells when they got yeah. So all right, he needs to be. He needs to be given the carrot. And be yeah. like, Todd, you, you're going okay. I Mick obviously thought I needed the stick, so <laughs> um, I cop the stick quite a few times. But yeah, that's the way you react. alright well, fuck you. I reckon I can do that. Yeah, I'll fucking show you. And yeah. then you'd go. You know, you'd sort of walk off the ground at the end of the game. Well, I can stick that up, you ask Mick. like well, yeah. well, I did that. And then, you know, only after you've finished or once you've become a regular senior player, you're like, oh, well, that's actually what he was trying to do the whole time instead yeah. of, you know, well, they obviously had a method behind their madness, which, like Job said, as young kids you have no idea about, you just think he's yelling at you just because he's an arsehole. Yeah. <laughs> but in the end, they have their, they have their reasons.
3: And that, that's the difficult thing, I think, about the AFL system is you're so young when you enter it. Yeah. Um, and the, the the knowledge that you gain, like by the time you're 24, you think, "Oh God, I sort of wasted you know those first six years because I just didn't know." And you're not supposed to know when you're that young. Uh, and that's that's I think where it's a bit different in in, in the NFL, where you, you come into the system and you're 23, 24, and you've had to you've had to build these levels of um, work ethic to get there in the first place and get through college and and all that sort of stuff. So you go there and you sort of hit the ground running where. In the AFL, you you're just like these na- naive little kids, and, and nor should you really know anything. You're 18 years old; you just got out of school. Yeah, like what are you supposed to do? This is professional of the world. It's it's a difficult sort of uh, thing to walk into. Do you think the age limit should be lifted? I reckon it should be. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think it, for for twofold. One that it um, you know physically and, and, and mentally, I think it would really help uh, guys adjust. Um, and the two, I think that that, that year or two where you were finished school and went into the system, I think it would get you a great perspective on other aspects of life and the appreciation of going into the football environment I think would be higher. Guys who didn't... Um, who didn't have long careers had already started something or learnt or worked out, okay, I like this, I don't like this. Because I think a lot of guys get to the end of their careers and they just don't know what they like or what they don't like. Yeah. And, and and not everyone has the opportunity to take two or three years to work that out. You know, like I think you, you finish your career and you've got a mortgage, you've got to do something, you've got to get a job, but I didn't really think about it, I don't know this, I don't know that. And so you get forced into something that you don't really want to do, and then you get ups- uh, unhappy about that, which is very natural. Um, so I think that there's merit in that sort of self discovery of that period when you're eighteen to twenty. Because well, the
2: average bloke in the or or, or lady, uh, they, it's common to have a gap year, travel the world, and all that. You don't get that luxury if you're a professional sportsman. No, no, um, you,
3: that, that's one of the things you don't you don't have. But uh, and I think you don't have. I never really asked myself the question of what, what is it that I like, what is it that I want to do? You know, I didn't ask myself that question enough when I was playing. I got, you know, you caught up with next week or I've got to do this, I've got to do that, so I've got to do this. But I think that that's sort of the, the question to help formulate the next path of your life is who am I, what do I like to do, what could make me happy, what am I interested in? Um, and that that will, I, I think, it helps to bridge that leaving the game and feeling lost which I think a lot of people go through in any elite sport
2: um, Anzac Day, talk, talk us through the highlights, and obviously you would have shared the centre square with Swanee plenty of times. Yeah, yeah, we used to line up on each other a lot of the time, <laughs> yeah. just at stoppages. <laughs> yeah.
3: We'd go back. So Dave's got, exactly
2: yeah. got to say sorry to interrupt, but Dave's got to say you, you can't win brown having good defensive pressure. <laughs>
3: <So>. <laughs> no, the uh, well, that, that's the thing. You should, I used to sort of always say to the guys, listen, do you want the ball in your hands or you want it in mine? Exactly. You guys make the decision. <laughs> But uh, no, Anzac days. It's a really special. It's a special, special game. It's the one game that I miss the most of playing, yeah. and it's just the build up to it, the silence before the the ground, uh, the game starts, and then just the roar. Like I just never hear such passion in a crowd than when it was either Collingwood or Essendon. Like it yeah. just felt like what it must have felt like to be you know like in the Colosseum in Rome, like that you know that just this amphitheater of. Um, Emotion and, and energy Like it was just Extraordinary
4: Yes it is, it is It's um Sheeds again Just yeah Genius created it Um Yeah it's an incredible day And I've always said Every time <coughs> I speak about it So even if you don't Barry for Collingwood Wrestling <coughs> You have to go At least one day And stay till The first five minutes You know See the The last post And the anthem And the ceremony Before the game And then Um The roar at the start Then the first five minutes and then if you don't like Both sides you can leave But um Yeah but it's an incredible It's an incredible day Um yeah, they, the games always sort of produce sort of decent-ish games so no matter where the two sides are on the ladder. But another one of Shees's Awesome Inventions. and yeah. um, So you played at Dreamtime with Jesus. Did you do that? Yeah, 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 that
3: was another one. You know, like just something so simple as the, the colours of the Aboriginal flag, the colours of the two teams, you know, like yeah. that's that's how his mind worked. Okay, he thought, yeah. okay, there is something in this that we can then – Taken and, and created a, a game around, and which then created everything else that is part of it. And now it's such a significant day um, in, in in Australia and in the sporting world, but um, in the community as well. And and that that foresight and that lateral thinking, I think, is what made him such a great ambassador for the game.
2: I was just thinking while we're talking about him that Swanee yeah. earlier this year said about how would you like to be taking over from Ed. As Mark Corder when you were giving yep. support to Mark Corder. It's impossible. In hindsight, now that you've got the benefit of hindsight that would have been a tough gig for Matthew Knight. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Very tough, very tough gig. And I always thought that probably at the time the club was under-resourced. And so a first time coach coming in (coughs) to an under-resourced sort of football department was a recipe for disaster. Um, And, you know, Knight has gone on and had a really successful assistant coach career at Geelong and he had some great, um, you know, uh, thoughts on the game and how it should be played. But, um, I think that, that he and anyone who was you know, making those decisions at that time would have said, okay, well, I'm probably not ready and this infrastructure around me is not ready to support someone coming into this role as a first-time coach.
2: And, and given your belief and, and love of American sports, if we're looking at how many... Uh Guys who have gone amiss, if I'm uh, using horse racing saying, but yeah. a, as a young coach, yeah. you actually do need that real long apprenticeship, don't you? I mean, it's what he had to play at Nathan Early Doors and he kept on improving as a coach, but years later.
3: Yeah, that's right. It's just, it's natural to, to you don't know, um, you know a hell of a lot more in year five or six or something than you do in year one or two. Yeah. Um, and I think that the, the problem is that, the, you know, we, we're so used to having immediate satisfaction. You know, life has become about immediate satisfaction. And that's tr- trickled into our expectations for the teams that we support. You know, we want immediate results. We want immediate um, things to change. So that pressure just becomes more and more amplified for people in those positions.
2: Uh, on the good side, I, I spent a year with Hurdy a couple of years back doing a podcast, and uh, how's that going? I, I think it's still in delay. <laughs> I think we am expecting a call back any any minute, but uh, it was great fun, and um, and. Some of his thoughts on the game were unbelievable. What was the good side of his coaching like before things went to shit?
3: Yeah, Hirdy's a great manager of people. You know, like as a captain, he was. Um, I had a great relationship. You know, I loved playing under him. He was sort of a, one of those guys, a bit like you know what Swanee was talking about with Mick. You like, you really wanted to you know play well for him, or you wanted to impress him, that sort of thing. He had that aura about him, and and he was able to uh, cultivate that feeling. Like he wasn't demonstrative demonstrative about it he nurtured it you know I think it's a real skill from a management side of things Um, you've got someone who's got such a big uh, presence but uh, never felt like it was um, you know overbearing or that he he you know, it, it, he, you couldn't connect with him, I, I found. Like, I thought he was really good at manage, uh, management side of things um, and he had some good thoughts on the, the game as well. But, you know, I think that that's the, the biggest strength as any coach is you have to be able to manage people because you've got all these different personalities. They have to be able to all – you have to find something that connects you to them. And that was what his school was. And
2: what was your mindset as a as a captain once became captain?
3: Yeah, um, yeah, I was tried to, to do something sort of similar where um, that that relationship. I had to be able to connect with every person in the locker room in some form. You know, it had to be whether I had nothing in common with them, I had to find something a common ground um, because I needed them to want to play with me um, and wanted to be part of the team. I needed them to, to give every – it couldn't just be about their own career. Like, it couldn't be about them just having their best own individual career. They had to feel like they were part of something. And that was based off a, a connection I felt was if I if – the, as the captain, if you could make a connection with them in some form, then they would be – they would feel part of the collective. And that was the, the key to building a, a strong team.
2: you never captain though
4: I was in the leadership squad in <laughs> the leadership team um but no i no it wasn't for me they you did too much extra work like <laughs> unpaid exactly um <laughs> but i was, I was in a, i was in the i think I was vice captain for a couple of years, but in the end, I went into Mick and said, listen, you might as well give it to someone else because the it didn't change me yeah so like i was i i think when people get voted in the leadership group it changes some people for the better obviously like some people go right i'm a captain i need to stand up. i need to lead i need to be more vocal at training i need to show i need to um, lead by example i need to do this where i didn't change like i was whether it was for better or for worse but i was the same person so i was like well you might as well give it to someone else who actually might benefit from it because i'm the same person i was yesterday that i am today in the leadership group so you might as well give it to someone else so it didn't not that it leadership didn't sit well with me, mean, I thought I sort of led on on field by example and stuff and the way I, I played, but it didn't change me in my off field stuff and um I wasn't super vocal at training and stuff like that I so, so might as well give it to someone else who who actually wants to roll and and I guess the other thing was was like it's hard to punish people when you're probably right there next to them yeah <laughs> like, on the on the weekends you know Like yeah you know, and I guess i was probably I was probably the the leak in the leadership team, you know what <laughs> I mean, Like we'd have a meeting, and like some say, when Steel and Blairy were out, and we were going to get punished, and I was there with them, but I didn't get caught, so I was like, "Well, fuck." And it's hard to it's hard to sit there and go, "Well, you're fucked you fucked up, Steel." You you're yeah, right. <laughs> it's like you fucked up, mate. Blairie. Um shouldn't have been out drinking. Like and I'm like sitting there going, "Oh, fuck, I was there." So that was sort of when, well, you know what? It's and I like you go out and say, boys, you know, like, they know you were there. Yeah. So, like, <coughs> don't deny it. Or sometimes I'd be like, well, they don't – we don't know you were there, so, like, <laughs> you can get away with it, you know what <laughs> I mean? So, probably, I probably didn't help the fucking side. like <laughs> together. But but we were very successful. Well, we weren't very successful. We weren't successful. We won one flag. But, yeah, it probably wasn't for me because I was – and I didn't like to see anyone punished for anything. Like, I was more well, as long as you play well and train well mm-hmm. – you know, that's all I, I care about. But yeah, so that's probably why my leadership skills were lacking because I'd be like, <laughs> boys, they know, we know, well, we don't know anything. So even though I know you are there, they don't. So just deny it and they can't prove it so you won't get in trouble or...
2: <laughs> that's leadership right <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> different, different kinds or, um,
4: you know, or listen, you fuck, we know, they all know you are there. So yeah, just come in a minute, say you were doing this and you're going to cop a fucking week suspension or you're going to cop going to the Bart beach at 6am or whatever, you know, whatever the punishment was. So, um, yeah, leadership really wasn't for me. I think i you be good at welfare, though. Like, <laughs> I think I would be, because I've done and experienced as many as most, so um, I think I would be... There's
2: a potential earner in you know. that, I would think.
4: Well, nothing's for nothing, Ralph. <laughs> Um Absolutely. <laughs> but um, I think
2: I could be a good ear to talk to, but, um, but yeah... Because it. it's a fine line, isn't it? If, if 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 someone has mucked up at a young age, do you want the the? Uh I was going to say Matthew Lloyd. <laughs> do you want the up and down straight citizen, or do you want someone who actually knows what it's like to fuck up? You need a bit <laughs> of both. You, need, <laughs> you, uh, you
3: can't because you, uh, someone who's never done anything wrong, hasn't made any mistakes, can't. He can, they can't understand yes. how people put themselves in that situation. Yeah. They, they can't empathise, and so all yeah. their decision making is based off only the things that they would do. Yeah. So you need. That's why a group is helpful. You know, like we because you've got different t- types of personalities. Um, we used to. Uh, one of the uh, players, we had a group of guys who who, who marked up, and they had to go and see Bomber, and Bomber was real intimidating, blow close, scary sort of. Guy and Bomber put them all in in different rooms and would just go from each room <laughs> and Have get a story and say this bloke said this about you. What did, what's happened? And so they all crumbled. And they, they lasted about five minutes before they just coughed up what had happened. But he was the old police sort of interrogating, <laughs> separated, divided cooker.
4: John and Tazzer got a little punch on at um, when Mick said no one was allowed out and they obviously went out. Tazzer got a little punch on. John came out and helped him and Mick's... and they had to go in the next morning and um Maxi Kleinman, the footy manager said you are not allowed to talk to Mick uh look at him for one week <laughs> like and like what do you mean like he absolutely he, they weren't allowed to make eye contact with Mick for one week <laughs> like, that was their punishment well like, they got suspended for a week and they weren't allowed to um, it be it's just they like, literally not allowed, not allowed to make eye contact with him for one week and then that was the end of the year they, they called in um he called Tazer a cut and traded him at the end of the year. And then he's called Jono a fuckhead and just the fuck-up. And then, obviously, Jono stayed. But, yeah, so that was his punishment. You were not allowed to look at him for one way. That's how angry he was. So that, that was their
3: punishment.
2: Who was the Bombers? Yeah, Red we, Pack.
3: We, we, had a, we had a few different times. This is a, a funny story. There was a fight one night um, between Essendon and Collingwood, I think. It's billboards. Um, and I reckon it might have been... I, don't, I can't remember who was involved, but uh, might have been Mark Johnson from Essendon. And I think it was Tazza. Tazza, I think yeah. they got in a punch on it, um, billboards. So we're sitting in, uh, we're like an auditorium on the Monday morning and everyone knew about it. Um, so Sheeds gets up and he says, right, every person that was at billboards on Saturday <laughs> night, get up and sit over this side of the room. <laughs> So, 80% of the group stood <laughs> up, moved over to the other side. And then, poor old uh, Teddy Richards, who's a good mate of mine, he, he sort of said, oh, he just stood up He said, oh, I was there, but I was there for 10 minutes. And he goes, get over there, Richards!
2: <laughs> so,
3: we had all kinds of characters doing that. Uh, who, stuff. Was
2: your, who was your main group of uh, the Swanee equivalent of a Rat Pack?
3: Ah. Uh, uh, yeah, early on, um sort of probably uh, some funny guys Solly. Mark, yeah, Solly, Solly McVeigh, um, Ramanaskis, um, they were sort of uh, a bit of a rat pack, Mark Johnson. And then when I got older I had to be careful with Tommy Bell Chambers where he was, Sammy Lonigan, <laughs> uh, Tate Pears, uh, those sort of guys were Michael Michael Hibbard was a con, he was a constant, like it was throughout my whole career. Um uh, <laughs> But he he was always so funny. His story, so I sort of had a soft spot but for him. Jeez, it changed though because when did you get drafted? Oh, uh, oh two. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, I was oh one. But
4: like, I remember the boys, like, the Shaw brothers, the Cloaks, and a handful of others. Like. Imagine doing this now. They got into a punch on, on a Wednesday night at the half on the pitch and got pepper sprayed like during like during the footy scene. Like during a game, like during the footy scene. Like could you imagine the boy like you'd be, you'd all be sacked. Yeah, they'd sack you on the spot, wouldn't they? Like, yeah, but the, the problem was that they weren't out. Yeah. It was the problem was they got into a punch on and got police. So I was like, like how funny, like what, ten years later, like if a group of blokes got pinged at the pub on a Wednesday oh, night. Wednesday, like, That's <laughs> enough to be sacked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, got like ten of years, but it wasn't the fact that I oh, probably was a bit. They were out late, but being at a pub having a few beers on a Wednesday before a saturday was sort of, you know, it wasn't okay. But it wasn't a sackable of offence. Nah. But it was the fact that they got pepper sprayed and got a little on. The the punishment that we had was we all had to be in that the whole team. Obviously, you get punished as one. You had to be in like at six am, say like the fucking next day or the day after, and. They, which which is probably topical now because of the boxing rule, is not allowed. Yeah, we had so we all. all the so six of them that got uh, that were at the pub. Um, they had uh, two boxing gloves. They had obviously a set of boxing gloves on, and they had to fight two blokes with one glove on each. <laughs> uh, mate, and they got absolutely hammered. Like talk about concussions. <laughs> but, uh, I won't name names, but one of them. Started to cry and then got his old man down. His old man come down and complained. <laughs> um, mate, it was a shit show. But just didn't like... say
2: that. I've got someone at about a dollar forty. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, brothers, but dollar
4: uh... But, uh... twenty. <laughs> but um, yeah, my my son of the part, like So and because the boys were pretty pissed off, they're like, "Fuck, fuck yeah. you! Been here at six in the morning. I'm going to show you." And like two blokes just like hitting as hard as they can go. Like it was. And I was like, oh, oh, thank fuck I wasn't there like. um, <laughs> Wednesday well, night. that's how much the world's changed. Like, yeah. I, even some of the senior blokes were going out on a, going to frost blokes on a Thursday night, yeah, playing at the MCG on a Saturday. Like, you did that now. Someone, one person takes a photo. That's your career's done. Your career's like, done. Yeah. yeah. But the from, crime,
3: the, the punishment to the crime is is outweighed now much. So yeah. much more, isn't it? You know, like. Yeah. Um, you get sacked by Twitter before you arrive at the club. Yeah, what <laughs> exactly. Sort of happens. Yeah. So it's just um, that's how um, amplified everything has become.
2: Yeah, it's wild. Actually, speaking of that, so Dane, you've been a bit active this week, and congratulations! You you, you decide to do Dry July.
4: Yeah, I did from the
2: thirty first. Yeah, <laughs>
4: um, it was tough. Well, if I had known we're we'll going back into lockdown, I would have I would have broken that. But I had a few last night. I that. The Last Supper, um, six <laughs> yep. Well, Jesus, I only had one. Um, well, we've had six, but but yeah. Um, stayed dry July for, for a night, which was which yeah. is nice. But well done. Um, well, we're proud of you, mate. You know what. I don't know what
2: <laughs> but you're, you're a tad less active on Twitter I think your last tweet was 18 months ago yeah uh, very <laughs> <laughs>
3: infrequent uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you scroll on it or yeah i look at it yeah yeah because I love um, I like the NFL and, and yeah, all yeah. sorts of stuff so I, I like to, to look at it I just don't really we don't have a you know, TV fucking want to to what else do you do it on I'm reading books by, <laughs> by candlelight <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah books you
4: with you a lost quill with a yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah. So
2: just wanna. I, so I, I first met you uh, when you were about seventeen or eighteen because SEN's first year. Yep. I was producer from about halfway through, and we. And this Tim changed my life in this way. So it was it was Gary, Billy, the Tim, Rod, Law was program manager. Me, I, that could have been it. Just he had a barbecue at your place. <laughs> yep. No pizza oven. It pizza might have, oven. Might yeah. Have fired that up too. Yeah. Yeah. So about three hours in, and where's Tim? He actually left his own. <laughs> backyard barbie just to go upstairs because he had enough of people talking and I, now is, does that shock you <laughs> that does not shock me one bit like if you
3: if it would shock you that someone who has lived a public life the entire for his whole yes. analog since so he's 15 years old um would leave his own barbecue to go upstairs like that is a very frequent occurrence <laughs> and there's a reason why he goes to down to the farm as much as he can and and it is completely isolated which is the way he likes it
2: <laughs> I think he bought the farm while I was working with him at the time so it's yeah, Gippsland wine is down that, in Gippsland do you yeah. use it a bit as well is
3: yeah he's got the he's got the vines in there so he's very um, particular about his grapes and things like <laughs> that he makes his own wine and, how know. is it Yeah, it's very good, actually. It's very good. What is it? Dumb luck. It's it's a Fiano, which is a white. Um, He's actually just started to stock it in a very select couple of places. Yeah, Yeah, so he's quite proud of that. What's it called? Give him a... It's called Mary's Vineyard, Vineyard. which is uh, my mother's mum. Uh, oh. that was her name.
2: Yeah. because the other one and it was, it's it's related to that. I mean, so when you're doing breakfast radio you you um afterwards you you go out for a coffee yeah. for an hour and a- talk How to long did you
4: do breakfast radio for?
2: He's done it so he started It uh, seemed uh, two thousand four was the first, first year.
4: Yeah, yeah, so the first a- year. Eighteen years.
3: Eighteen years. Yeah, he had a couple of years off and now he's back to So I lasted twelve years. weeks.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As a segment guy.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a- was your shift? <laughs> <laughs> oh well, it varied from
4: 7 till anywhere from 7 a.m. to 8.45 a.m. on a Monday morning. Yeah. Monday's not for me. No, 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 not the right. They chose the wrong day. No, that's why I said. It's Tuesday to Friday. I'm all good. <laughs> Monday morning's a tough. I don't know how your old man's done. I, I, didn't, I didn't last the footy
2: season. <laughs> but he's done 18
4: years. Incredible stuff. Incredible yeah. stuff.
2: So it, we'd, we'd usually chat for an hour and the talk she'd actually yeah. time was important. Cause yeah. I mean, you know, unlike, I don't know, let's say most workplaces... It's, it's about the next day, but as well as talking shit. And I remember Bill would average, Brownless would average four to six sportsman's nights a week, <laughs> even though he was getting up at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and, and I remember Tim saying, I don't often give a uh, private conversation, but he, he was just in Marvel because he said whenever someone twists his arm to do a public talk... Which is rare. Yeah. He'd be anxious about it for five weeks leading into it. and he Needs to go look at Bill. Just, him. <laughs> just off the it back loves head. it. Yeah, yeah. No, he's never. I don't know where. The, I mean, but he's a he's a atypical
3: uh, introvert you know yeah. like that, that's his personality type. Uh, and,
2: and then a couple of years afterwards at an Irvine club which I'm part of he was the speaker he is as good as anyone yeah. and he's because it starts with his stuff in Dimbola yeah 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 no. how <laughs> <Power laughs> Western had recruited him <laughs> I think it's <laughs> probably got something
3: him. to do with being a 15 year old getting exposed <laughs> as a 15 year old I think that's had a lasting influence <laughs> on him <laughs>
2: alright just a quick ones to finish uh, so uh, we've done Anzac Day just whatever you want to say Kevin.
3: Yeah, why well, he's an icon of the game, Sheds. Yeah. And although I had some uh, bumps in the road with him, I have an appreciation for him. After September he loves a sportsman's night. He, he's a good sportsman. <laughs> Operator. <not laughs> yeah, upper
4: yeah. pa yeah. 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 he brings some stuff too. <laughs> he backs the
3: truck up with <laughs> his jumpers he and books and paintings. Oh mate, absolutely. He's yeah. always got a sharpie on <laughs> hand.
2: Yeah, Hurdy yeah. the player.
3: Yeah, Hirdy uh, was my idol, you know, as a, as a kid. So he was an unbelievable player. Is he the best you played with? Yeah, he was the best player I played with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hoody the coach? Well, before everything that happened, Hirdy was a, was a great coach, and I think he was going along that track. And then, uh, you know, he like a lot of people who were heavily involved in it. Um, you know, it was it became debilitating to him.
2: Yeah. Yep, Matty Lloyd.
3: Lloyd uh, is the funniest bloke I, I know that doesn't try to be funny. <laughs> You're <laughs> laughing at him or with him. Most of the time, it's a, it's a mixture of both. But <laughs> he's a very very funny guy. Lloyd, yeah. 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 Fletch, uh, Fletch, <sighs> very laid back, um, but had a, a great ability to connect with people 20 years his junior like he's a very very easy going guy good person to be around
2: how did he play for so long it's well i think it's i think
3: it was his like personality type where yeah. nothing bothered him he just got on with things um, How was he on the track? Big- no, nah, it wasn't <laughs> a huge track. It wasn't a big sort of track operator. He waited <laughs> till the balls came out. Yeah, but it, like he, he was one of those guys that every person respected and loved who played with him. You know, like every person who came in the club because he just treated everyone the same. You know, he was just such a nice, nice person.
2: And and, and just to finish, we get like we had an hour of fun for people in lockdown who were doing a tough when all of a sudden you can't do what you want to do, it ain't fun. So what were some of the coping mechanisms you you went through when you had to stop?
3: Yeah, I mean, I I remember after I got banned, you know, I was obviously really um, flat and and, and really struggling with it and and I I went down to the farm, you know, by myself and and I wrote a list of things that I wanted to do in that next 12 months and things that I hadn't done before and um, new experiences but just almost like a, a bit of a goal setting for myself. Um, and then I tried to to tick that off, tried to take myself out of my comfort zone, but it was about um, you know understanding that difficult things happen to everyone and it 's just what you do with them and then how you can respond out of them and um, I think that this you know, for a lot of people, a lot of people are really hurting out there, and it's it's very very sad to see um, you know what, what's what's happened to a lot of people, and, and there's a lot of um, you know uh, there's care and, and people can reach out to things and, and make an effort to to go and um, speak to someone if they need help. Did no. you get many off your list? I did tick everything yeah. on the list.
4: <laughs>
2: well yep. Well, I want to. I will finish with one here because so you gave Joby's Brownlow. Yeah.
3: yeah. yeah. Literally. Yep. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the night. Um, <laughs>
2: Because I'm looking at the cutaway and there's Dado comes out and puts the medal on and then let's all toast uh, Joe Watson for Winnie the Browlow. You're still there for the drink. Well, <laughs> exactly. It's my moment. <laughs> <coughs> oh, I was up Bruce loved it. He's <laughs> an ear yeah, genius. Yeah, the, the best. Be fantastic. If you had a TV, you'd be watching some of it. I know. But, uh, i just have to take it in a second hand. still haven't got my head around that. <laughs> Good stuff, mate. Appreciate you doing it. No problem. Thanks, Thanks guys.
1: mate. Cheers.